Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. Uh, you're going to enjoy today's guest, and we're going to kind of dive into a side of me that oh, probably the longtime listeners know, but I love um, psychology and counseling, and that was a direction that I was heading with my own life, and lo and behold, I went to a school that didn't offer that. I don't know how that happened. Well, yes, I do, but it's another story for another day. But I am delighted to have on the podcast today Molly LaCroix. And uh, for those of you unfamiliar with her, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. Um, and she, she's not only that, but incredibly thoughtful um, because she has written a book that has captured my attention called Restoring Relationships, Transforming, Transforming Fear into Love Through Connection. You, many of you also know about me that community is a real hot button for me. And when I say that word, I mean connection and relationship and all of those things. And that's a, a part of what, just a part of what uh, Molly LaCroix is talking about in her book, Restoring Relationships. Um, I, she and her husband live in central Oregon, and that sounds beautiful, doesn't it? <laughs> and I want to welcome Molly to Faith Conversations. Molly, welcome. No, thank you so much for having me. And, and I want to ask you, you know, whenever I introduce someone and read pieces of their bio, because uh, I look at the bio and I think, well, I'm not going to give the whole thing. And then I wonder, what did I leave out that might be a really important part for me to say? So what, what would you add that I didn't say today? Yeah, I, I would say your listeners would probably be interested to know that I got my master's uh, degree in marriage and family therapy at a seminary. And so in a program like that, um, you, you're always integrating secular theories, all of the theories of psychotherapy are secular, um, and with Christian spirituality, um, we take about half an MDiv, Old and New Testament and hermeneutics and all those things. So, so integration is my passion, and the model I use in my work and in my book, I integrate that model with uh, Christian spirituality. So I love that. And thank you. I'm glad I asked that question. And then I also want to say um, a, a highlight that you said secular. And in my head, I'm going, I don't know, secular, sacred, isn't everything spiritual? <laughs> you know, right, right. yeah. Or, or as you say, and I've, I, re, uh, I say this often from an old English literature professor of mine in college, and I read it in your book, and I love that you say it as well. All truth is God's truth. And so those things that we learn, even in those, um, quote, secular spaces, right? Um, uh, it's, it relates uh, under that umbrella of we take from, it all, you know, all truth is God's truth. And I, so I love that you integrate it all. And anyway, I'm just okay. nitpicking here. <laughs> uh, uh, but I think, I think not nit nitpicking, I think I'm speaking out of my own experience where there was such a big divide for so long. And then 
until there wasn't anymore. <laughs> so, but I fully understand what you were talking about um, with your education. And I love, and I think people listening will love the fact that the, um, the seminary uh, and your therapeutic side of things that, that those are married together, the, you know, there's just so much for us to glean from you. So I want to know, there's always a story behind why someone decides to write, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, especially even more, especially I think the first book and the, the content of that first book, at least I've found is often really heart stuff, something that's been on someone's heart for a long time. Like if I ever get to write, this is what I'm going to write. What, what's that story for you? Why, why this book restoring relationship? The, the broad answer is that um, it's my nature when I learn something that I'm passionate about to want to teach it to other people. Love it. Yep. <laughs> um, but specifically for writing, because I, I've written a lot because I've taught a lot, but I hadn't, it's not the classic story of I've been writing journals since I was four years old. And um, so it did surprise me when I felt this um, inspiration to write this book. Um, and then when I began, I realized, oh no, <laughs> this is pretty congruent because I was stirred up about the fact that I was seeing people in my practice who were active members of Christian faith communities and had sought help for their challenges in those communities um, and either weren't helped or in too many cases were actually harmed. Um, and that, that just didn't sit with me. You know, we, our, our faith communities ought to be places of healing and restoration and, and safety. Um, and so I started asking, you know, other colleagues, are you seeing this? Because I have a lot of colleagues, we train together and mm -hmm. very similar stories. And um, so I set out to write this book to hopefully um, explore the question of why we talk so much about love in the Christian community and often fail to be loving. <laughs> uh, no pun intended. I love that, that you're <laughs> writing about that. Um, and it, it, just a little point, um, a number of years ago, I, I did radio, Christian radio for years. And I remember early in my time, I would recommend, um, and we took live calls. So it was live radio, took callers on the air, and I would recommend people, you know, head to their pastor for counseling. And that I stopped doing that in my later years. Like, uh, it almost, almost the opposite, like do not go, you know, because pastors, they're not necessarily, well, not at all, uh, trained. There's not that training. Um, right. in, in seminary that they receive very unlike what you received your um, your training is very specific and um, encourage them to to find a good counselor and in fact I am I don't know what you want to say about this but <laughs> you're hearing my question coming you know there are so many different labels of counselors but I will not send someone to what's to who's labeled a biblical counselor no. Uh, yeah. And what is that, by the way? What is a biblical counselor? Um, well, I, you know, there are probably different definitions, but, but that, that's one of the reasons that I, I talk about being trained in secular theories, because a biblical counselor isn't trained in the 
theories of psychotherapy that have been scientifically validated. So you, you're, so I want to go back to me talking all about the secular, sacred, everything spiritual. You make this distinction for very good reason. I'm now hearing this and yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, I, you got me there. I got there. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no. I, I mean, I, I appreciated what you said about it and it's, but it's, it's both. It's because that biblical counseling is um, only about, you know, taking from scripture, what we can learn about, you know, our dilemmas, which can be helpful, but has, has some real limitations. Well, and how is someone reading scripture? Literally, that opens a big can of worms. Exactly. And, and there again, today, but, you know, yeah. my premise in the book and my premise in, in life, <laughs> you know, is that most people are not setting out to harm others. They yes, are well-intentioned. Right. Right. They're doing the best they know how to do, but that doesn't mean it's good enough. Yes. And that doesn't mean it's going to help somebody. Yes. And in, one of the things I love about your book, you really do start out, like you just said, I mean, obviously giving the, prem the premise and you set the stage um, and you break your book into parts. And the first part is wounding the wounded. Um, I personally have, have experienced that along the way, but, but I had a, a deep enough connection with God to not um, say, well, then I'm done with, with uh, the family of God, with church, with whatever. No, I, I just knew to move on to a different place, different people that had different understanding that would yes. not be um, wounders, but would be wounded healers, as Henry Nouwen says. Um, but I, but I appreciate that you talk about that because, and, uh, and we come, there's so many things that I underlined early on in the book, um, because I related to it. I, I grew up very much, um, trained as a judger, you know, mm -hmm. I, that was a part of my profile. I, mm -hmm. when I got finally to my adult years, it, the light bulb went on and I'm like, I'm a Pharisee. Wait a minute. <laughs> and, you know, some changes, um, you know, the Holy Spirit really nudged me like, oh, there's some changes that need to happen here. And some of those changes happened through uh, inciting incidents in my life that God used, which often is the case, right? Um, yeah. Stuff happens. And, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and I started going to a wonderful <laughs> therapist and, mm -hmm. and so I'm so grateful for that. Um, but we, you know, we can't just understand that, um, that piece of things uh, and some of the, the problems um, and how we get wounded in the church, but you move on to talk about understanding ourselves. And I would, I would love for you to talk about that. And I don't know if you have anything more to say. I mean, there's plenty more in the book and I know we're just like, we're going to scratch the surface today. Um, I don't know if you have anything more to talk about some of the problems that we experience um, just in our, in our own heads about this and the whole struggle we have with vulnerability um, and then you move into what it looks like to understand ourselves. And I think a lot of us struggle getting to that point. Sure. Yeah. Well, what I do in the book is really examine some of the ways that we show up with other people who are struggling um, as clues to understanding ourselves. So if, if I encounter someone who is um, let's say grieving a loss, 
and I notice that I'm irritated or I just wish they'd get over it, which are very common yes. reactions. And I use the word reaction versus response. So we have these reactions to other people's struggles. And that is information about ourselves. And so um, the practice that I share in this book, I call it a new spiritual practice um, because I believe it's a path to loving ourselves. And as we get curious about what's going on inside me, what, um, what's prompting me to show up with a blocked heart <laughs> instead of an open heart, fundamentally what I explore is those are fear-based reactions. So we are afraid of vulnerability. Vulnerability is risky. It's, you know, it scares our system. If I lean into someone else's experience and create space for them to fully grieve, I might feel my own grief. And our systems are... <laughs> are set up to protect our, you know, to protect that, those tender spaces. Um, are you an, are you an Enneagram person at all? I am. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm an Enneagram person and, and I, I'm so resonating with what you're saying because I'm an Enneagram three. It's like, yeah, I don't want to feel my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me just uh, sweep those aside, but yes, uh, to what you're saying. I think most people certainly recognize what you're saying. Yeah, and it, it is the human condition. And, and one, of the, one of the things I explore in the book is, you know, just helping people understand the basics of vulnerability and why in our development as, as humans, um, we both inevitably experience vulnerability and also um, take on uh, protective adaptations to that. It's how we survive. None of us have a perfect experience in this fallen world. And, um, and we have to adapt to whatever it is that, that, that we experience, particularly early on, that really is very formative. Um, and so, you know, I do endeavor to help people understand, first of all, that we are all vulnerable and we all adapt to it in a variety of ways. And um, in order to help people, you know, just recognize that, it is important to do our own work to be able to connect with vulnerability, both in ourselves and in others. And I, I love, I appreciate that you talked about that the protective measures that are sometimes in place and sometimes really needed, but often there does come a time in our lives. Um, and, and would you, is it usually something that happens to us that sends us toward a therapist's office or moves us into a space where we start exploring um, why we're using these protective measures and how to move into a different space. Is that usually what happens? Some kind of inciting incident? Yes, yes, because people get to a level of pain. <laughs> um, there you go. Intolerable. And yes. that's when we seek help. No different than when we seek medical help. I was just going to say physically, you it's know. the same. Yeah, it's pretty rare for someone to proactively come to therapy. I'm always a fan. Yes, <laughs> but, right. But most people, you know, and whether that pain is a particular symptom, such as overwhelming anxiety or panic attacks, or, um, or whether it is 
distress in important relationships or both, you know, because often, you know, those two inter intertwine. Yeah, that that is what causes people to seek help. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, this is a little bit of an aside, but, um, you know, we're, I I keep wanting to say we're coming out the other side of COVID, not so sure that we are, but um, this major season in the lives of, and I'll just talk about North America, life life of the world, but um, really life of the world. Uh, Have you seen an uptick in uh, in calls to your therapy practice and, and have you talked with colleagues and ha- has the uptick? I, and I'll say we, my husband and I, he's a spiritual director as well. We have certainly felt it. And I wondered if much more so in the therapy world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's very challenging now to, um, you know, to find therapists who have any availability. It's really, um, yeah, wow. yeah, because these circumstances, one of the things that that riles us up as humans is lack of control. Oh. When we feel we don't have control. Now, of course, we could go off on a tangent spiritually about the fact that we never have control, but, right. <laughs> but as humans, we yeah. want control. And so these are some of the dilemmas that provoke different, different symptoms for different people manifest in different ways. Um, but these are circumstances where many of us are encountering um, a lack of control in areas we've never experienced it before. Mm. So yes, that's been very distressing for people. Mm. So you talk about the need to understand ourselves and, uh, and move through some uh, important chapters about that. Um, one of the things that you talk about, and I don't, I'm not sure if you've actually used the term yet in our conversation here today, but one of the things that you are trained in is what's called internal family systems and IFS or internal family systems. And honestly, I had never heard that term until I talked a number of many months ago to Allison Cook on the podcast. And she uses that term as well, which I want to say to people right now, that they should follow you on Instagram. Um, I started following, following Allison Cook. I found you through another way, means, but follow you on Instagram. And I will link your social media um, in the show notes so that people, you know, if they're out jogging and listening to this or driving, you don't have to worry about writing stuff down. I'll have it all linked in, in the show notes. But you have some wonderful stuff on social media, uh, specifically Instagram, that, where I, I really appreciate that. Um, so, so talk about, and I don't know if this is the time where you want to start getting into internal family systems, Mm -hmm. um, because you move into a a different part in the book and talk about a new spiritual practice. And I would love for you to talk about that because I mean, we have to learn a a way forward. We, (laughs) you know, or, or we, um, live in kind of a miserable place space. And I think I'm aware of how many, and maybe because of COVID, how many more miserable people there are, maybe some of that because of how things changed politically in the past number of years. But there certainly seem to be a lot more just generally mean people and also emboldened people to, people used to be just kind of emboldened 
loosely on social media, but they're emboldened in person face to face. Now, you, you know what I'm talking about? I'm sure. Um, we, yes, if we don't yeah. learn a new way forward, I think we're already in a heap of trouble, but right. uh, right. speak yeah. to this, speak to that. Yes. Well, there's, there's lots to speak to with that. Yes. So I will start with, I'll just connect it to this lack of control. Okay. And so we experience a lack of control and what, what, what the, the way that I teach people to connect with themselves is empowering. It begins to shift from there's nothing I can do about this to yes, there is something I can do about this. Ah, okay. And that, that seeds hope. Yes, indeed. I mean, I just hearing you say it, I'm like, well, that's hopeful. Yeah. And so, um, just to give people a sense of what we mean by internal family systems, this is a, an evidence-based theory of psychotherapy, which means there have been rigorous scientific studies done to demonstrate the efficacy, <clears throat> excuse me, and it, we understand ourselves as multiple. So just as we worship a God who is multiple and we are created in God's image, how interesting that we are also multiple. Now, one of the uh, analogies in uh, in the letter, to, it was First Corinthians, I believe, or it might be Second Corinthians off the top of my head, but Paul talks about Christ, the head of the church and the body of the church, which has many parts, each of which are equally useful and, and, and important. Um, and this model understands that when we turn inside and we notice our emotions and our thoughts and various images of scenes and sensations in our body, that these are just not transient aspects of our mind. They actually belong to persons within the person. So thus the name internal family. Can I ask a, a sure. question here? Sure. Um, I can't think of the name. You will know immediately of this children's movie, which really was for adults, <laughs> <laughs> not all that long ago about our emotions. Yes. Um, you know um, which one I'm thinking about. I do. Yeah. And now the name might yeah. be escaping me. Is it inside out? Yes, or it is inside, inside out. out. Okay. Where, yes. And, and really that kind of portrayed, um, as people, different parts that's of right. us. And I wonder, that's if, right. yeah, yeah. So that, and it's that's what great, made me think of. it's a great kind of an introduction to this concept. Um, you know, I do, as I say, I ground this in, um, you know, I, I've evaluated this model through the lens of scripture and theology and have found it to be so congruent um, because, you know, we are multiple and also we are created in God's image. And so we have resources within us mm. that cannot be obliterated by our mm. life experiences. Boy, that's, that's a powerful statement right there. We have resources within us that cannot be obliterated by our life circumstances. That just bared repeating. Thank yes, you. it does. It was, it was the mind blowing ex experience for the developer of this model, Dr. Richard Schwartz. Okay. And, um, who developed the model. Oh gosh, we're, we're approaching 40 years ago now. Um, okay. and, did, did you remind me, remind me, did you study this in your schooling or come to this later in seminary or did you learn about this later? I was exposed to it in my program because as a marriage and family therapist, this is one of what we call a systems theory where we are understanding human functioning as part yes. of a system. Right. Um, however, uh, it was a brief 
introduction. I came to it. I came back to it many years later, having specialized in treating trauma, you know, so treating the impact of trauma and adversity in people's lives, which my, my bias is that most of what we experience as symptoms, whether relational or interpersonal or whatever symptoms we're struggling with are rooted in adverse experiences. Yeah. Um, And so having been trained in other approaches to treating trauma, I came to this and said, this, this is exactly what I'm seeing. And then went on a journey of getting trained in every possible way. Love it. I love it. The benefit of spending three years in a consultation group with Dick Schwartz. And so um, I'm, I'm honored to be connected with Dick on a personal level. And he endorsed my book. And, um, so this, this was mind blowing because in traditional psychological circles, that was not believed. The belief was what happens early in life is, you know, sort of you're doomed. (laughs) Um, and what happens early in life has a profound impact, Mm -hmm. but it can be healed. And you know, in, as Christians, we understand that we have this external source of healing. We have the Holy spirit who then is an internal source. In, of healing. I was going to say external and internal. Welcome, yeah. Welcome more of the spirit. And we have innate resources because we're created in God's yes. image. And as we, so this model is what we call a constraint release model. Huh. We don't have to work hard to develop the muscle of compassion we are innately compassionate. Mm. However, when hard things happen and we have to adapt to survive, those adaptive protective strategies block these resources Uh because we start doing things like trying to be perfect to protect ourselves from feeling shame and all of that energy blocks our confidence, let's say, our confidence to put ourselves out there and be a beginner in something, you know, so where, interesting. Yeah. So interesting. I, I will, um, I, I, I t- tell the story in a, uh, talk that I've given at, at women's retreats, um, that I, that that's a piece of my story, just trying to be perfect, trying to be mm-hmm. perfect. And then sure. I went through a divorce and everything shattered. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I say is I'm obviously not a completely different person, but I didn't have, I noticed that I did not have one bone of compassion in my body until after mm-hmm. I went through the shattering of divorce in my life. And hearing you say that I, I had not put mm-hmm. those together at all. That makes perfect yeah. sense. I had blocked that. Right. Yeah. So interesting. Wow. And so essentially this process that, that is facilitated by this model is a process of turning our attention inside Mm -hmm. and getting to know these different parts of ourselves. And when we first turn our attention aside, we're, we're probably noticing the activity mostly of what we call protectors. And these are the parts of us that take on jobs Now, the job is not who they are. The job's like a uniform they put on Ah. to get through something. So your perfectionist part dons the uniform of perfectionism and says, you know, I need to be perfect. Mostly perfectionism is a strategy to protect ourselves from shame. So not many people escape being shamed by a teacher, let's say, 
Sure. Love teachers, appreciate it. Right, right. However, you know, it's just our vulnerability as young children. Maybe we're in a context where parents have very high expectations and we don't do so well and we get feedback from a teacher and we take it on as I'm bad. Yeah. I'm not good enough. And that is the kind of belief that goes with the emotion of shame. And so now we've got this burden in our system and that is a vulnerable space. And it's natural, just like we protect a wound by putting a bandage on it. In our system, God has given us this adaptive ability to protect these wounded parts of us by donning these strategies like perfectionism. Well, if I'm perfect, nobody can criticize me and I don't have to re-experience this shame. Uh, Yeah, that's a great, that's a great illustration. Um, but man, that's exhausting. <laughs> that's what I'm. <laughs> well, it is exhausting. Our, it, it takes, we find, you know, so much of our energy is this kind of chaotic effort of the protectors to keep this energy of the, the vulnerable ones whom we call exiles because we exile them in our system. We try to banish them to the basement of the family home <laughs> and keep them locked up. <laughs> Because they're threats, they're perceived threats to the to the system, um, and so all this energy is going to this. And again, blocking these innate resources like compassion and curiosity and confidence. The the developer of the model, people start hearing the C words. Um, he identified what he called the eight C's. Ah. Uh, these are not, you know, there are many qualities of sure. that we have as as bearers of God's image as we know, you know, there's no limit to, to the resources we can possess. And we, we have, again, both these innate resources and we can create more space inside as we begin to develop relationships with these parts of us for the spirit to enter in. So what in fact is the new spiritual practice that you, as you call it? I teach people how to turn their attention inside and begin to develop relationships with these parts of themselves. So starting to dialogue with these. That's right. That's right. And that's why, you know, it's interesting as a marriage and family therapist with a title, like restoring relationship, like what, well, they're just assumption. Well, this must be about marriage or parenting or something. (laughs) Well, actually we're going to restore the relationship with parts of ourselves. Wow. Yeah. And, and spend the energy to get to know them and appreciate them and love them. As you know, I talk a lot in the book about the great commandment. And just the other day, I heard it yet again. Somebody said the great commandment is to love God and love others. No, the great commandment is to love God and love others as has ourselves. (laughs) It is the lost component of the great commandment. And this is a practice of loving ourselves. You know, we are created for relationship and that isn't only with God and others. It's with ourselves. Boy, that's so good. Well, it's, it's very powerful, transformative stuff, which is why I got so excited about it. Oh, absolutely. And, and I am a big proponent of, of stating the greatest commandment as it is, as you just stated it, love neighbor as self. 
But uh, with that last thing that you said about that relationship with ourself, I think I've not, you know, Mm -hmm. thought about it in that one, that next step, Um, you know, I've thought about it. Yeah. If we don't know ourselves and love ourselves, well, then we're never going to love our neighbor. And that's, and so it's dawning on me that that's a lot of what we're seeing in the world today, right? That's right. And, and yeah, there's so many, it's, um, it's really, really a, 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 such a difficult time because what is happening, um, we are seeing other people's protectors and that provokes our own protectors. Oh, that's so interesting. That makes sense. So, you know, so people, all of it, I keep in my book, I go back to this over and over. It's driven by fear. Mm. And so there, you know, we go back and we look at people fearing something being taken from them or fearing the way they've always expected life to go. And all of these things that provoke fear, understandably. And instead of being able to lean into the vulnerability and meet each other in spaces of grace and sacred vulnerability, we armor up and our protectors go to war with each other. Wow. (laughs) And I was fortunate to be able to contribute a chapter to a book, um, called how to heal our divides, which let me, I've got it before you say what that is. I want to say that I just had Brian Elaine on last week on the podcast. So, um, you're, and I didn't even realize you were a part of that book until I started going through it and prepping for that podcast. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be talking with Molly LaCroix. So (laughs) tell about what you contributed to, to that very interesting book. Yeah. Well, my contention is that healing outer divides starts with healing our inner divides. We, we must use, we must notice what is happening inside me as I'm encountering someone on the other side of a divide, whether that's a political divide, a religious divide, a whatever, whatever divide, racial. Um, And when we can do that, um, we, it is very powerful because again, we're removing the constraints to our love and how do we show up? truly doing what Jesus asked us to do that hard thing of loving our enemy, someone, a part of us Mm. as defined as an enemy, you know, when we're leading with our heart, we're not going to see anybody as an enemy, but parts of us will identify them as an enemy because there is something about that other person that's provoking my own vulnerability. Mm. And yeah, again, through this practice, we can begin to develop relationships with parts of ours, you know, from what I call the leader of the family, ah, the leader so, of the inner family. And, and let's, who is the leader of the inner family? The leader is the one, you know, it's, we don't have a great name for it in the theory. It's just called self. Okay. Um, it is, you know, you can think of, I like to think of the leader is the one who's in harmony with the Holy Spirit. who's drawing on these intrinsic resources we possess as image bearers and also on, you know, in, is in harmony with the spirit. Um, And again, drawing on these qualities to lovingly connect, whether it's a protector in the system or it's an exile in the system. And, um, and what's an exile, you know, you've talked a little about protector a little bit, but what's an exile in the system? An exile is that is, is a vulnerable member 
of the family who has taken on the burdens from adverse experiences. And those burdens are things like painful emotions, distorted beliefs that we hold about ourselves, what we often in the church um, kind of attack as a lie. Mm. But it's, it's the meaning a part of us made because we're just vulnerable, particularly earlier in life, really vulnerable to making meaning of adversity that's, that's self-referencing. So I'm bad, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable. I mean, the list goes on. And are those lies? Yes, but this little part of you believes it mm-hmm. and they aren't gonna be talked out of it. What healing requires witnessing, connecting in the story, allowing this little one to tell their story, maybe for the first time of what happened to them and how it affected them. And when that can happen, they can release those burdens. And that's, that is ultimately the healing um, that this models facilitates. What if they don't know what happened to them? What if they're having to work on figuring that out? That's you know, part of the process fascinating. too. It's fascinating, Anita. Um, they know exactly what happened to them. Oh, interesting. And when it can be a process to, to get to a point of connecting with them directly one-to-one, because we have lots of protectors who want to keep us from doing that. Oh, it's like, yeah. oh warning, warning, don't go there. That's scary. That's vulnerable. It's going to overwhelm you, all the yes. things. Yes, yes. So, you know, it always starts by, by establishing trust with those protectors. Like we can do this because if you think about it, we are, we are approaching this tender spot with God's energy. God can handle anything. Right. <laughs> and so it can take some work with protectors to gain their trust. But once we do, and we're with this vulnerable one, now, sometimes they don't have words for what happened to them. Sometimes it's more images or sensations in the body. Okay. Um, there's a wonderful book, a bit of an aside, but there's a wonderful book for people who really want to understand um, the impact of trauma called The Body Keeps the Score. Oh, sure. Bessel van der Kolk. Van der Kolk. And so the body really does keep the score. And so we hold a lot of pain in our body from the adversity we've experienced. Many, many physical ailments and symptoms um, have mm. those traumatic underpinnings or adverse. I like to use the word adversity because some people say, oh, no, no, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't, right. I didn't trauma, trauma, you know, <laughs> but we've all experienced adversity because this is a fallen world. Right. Right. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so one of my questions, uh, cause I can picture and hear someone asking this, that's listening. Okay. Uh, do I need to find someone trained in internal family systems uh, in order to walk through this process? Or can I get a copy of Restoring Relationship, Transforming Fear into Love Through Connection? Can I get a copy of your book, Molly, to, to at least start moving me in this direction? And maybe this is enough, maybe not. Talk, talk about that. Yeah. Um, I... I... I'm a big reader. I know everybody's not a reader, which by the way, I am going to record the book and release an audio book sometime in the first quarter of the year. I promise. Oh, are you really? I'm so excited. You already um, know. I'm sure you've heard that me. Is, once I get through the holidays, that is the next big project I'm tackling. Um, oh, good. I'm a big, I used to do audio books. I record, I've recorded so many audio books and I love doing that and, and never knew one day that I would love listening to them, but I do. Yes. 
Good. Yeah. So a bit of an aside, but to your, to your point, yes. Um, my, I endeavored in the book to provide exercises to break this down. So people could have an experience of connecting with their own protectors and exiles. Now, as I've said many times in our conversation, exiles are very vulnerable. And so my expectation is not that there's, you know, that you can pick up my book and do deep work with one of your exiles on your own. That's not right. like, um, however, when you are beginning to feel their presence, this does provide a practice for connecting with them and connection is soothing. What we find is I could almost say almost every time huh. when we are able to bring this self slash spirit energy mm. to a part of our system that's riled up for in whatever way, yes, they calm huh. because they're not alone. They oh. think they're alone and that they makes sense. Alone. So, so, so there is the beginnings that can happen with this in the last part of the book, I apply the model to common causes of distress, loss, betrayal, addiction, and physical and mental illness. Again, giving people an opportunity to explore their own system. Like what happens in my internal family when I am confronted by one of these very common challenges, whether in my own life or someone else's. Um, because again, I started out with, here's how not to do it. <laughs> so I end up yeah. with, and here's, here's how we can do it better because we really, you know, we all want our faith communities to be safe spaces of healing and transformation. And I, and one of the things that I think about is when we become healed, when we walk through that healing journey, we become some of those safe people. That's right. That can then be planted uh, in our faith communities, um, may be able to have conversations, open up the door uh, uh, for others to, um, you know, point them in a, in a right direction or to having compassion on others, love, you know, whatever uh, things that you talk about in the book, it, we can become some of those um, wounded healers as we are healed ourselves. That is, that is not a small thing to have people peppered through the body of Christ who have gone on a healing journey. That's right. Yeah. And that is absolutely my hope. Um, and, you know, when I have brought this information to congregations and done workshops and things like Ooh, that, nice. that's always okay. my hope is ah. to, um, to bring this to the faith community. Well, I love hearing that you do that. You do workshops. Maybe someone listening wants to bring that little piece of information to their, um, you know, church, uh, to their pastor, to someone on staff that puts, a, uh, puts events on at their church. That's just helpful knowledge, you know, um, so yeah. much. What's, what's a final thing that you want to say that we really need to know or that you want to make sure the person that, that reads your book and, and is really interested in restoring a relationship, what do you hope they walk away from this with? Well, what's coming to mind in the moment is that they would develop a loving relationship with all parts of themselves. Mm. We, it is the noise out there is we beat up on parts of ourselves. You know, you, you know, Google inner critic, if you want to find <laughs> a part of your system that takes a beating, 
one of the um, resources uh, that I developed and, you know, I try to break this down into bite-sized pieces is a little worksheet helping people befriend their inner critic. You know, you mentioned the Enneagram. I'm an Enneagram one. I know where I speak. (laughs) Yes. And, and this is a dedicated protector in your system who actually is Mm well-intentioned, doesn't know another way to protect you. And so can be really, really harsh, but means well. And so if people begin to understand that no matter what is showing up in their system, maybe a part of them that is, you know, overusing substances to numb their pain and that boy, that'll get your inner critic going, you know, when, because this is a system, we are, our inner parts have relationships with each other. And so is understanding whatever it is, it's well-intentioned. Now, does that mean everything goes? No. You know, these symptoms are meant to get our attention. Again, God's given us uh, a pathway. So you like pay attention to pain. Yes. Attention to dysfunction. Yes. And in this model, we do what we call a U-turn, Y-O-U turn and turn inside and get curious. Mm. And um, yeah, it's a process. And it's, it, we use this beautiful gift of imagination that God gave us, which I think is essential for healing. And which I think is underused, utilized. And, And again, people are afraid, you know, there's fear about that, but I, I encourage people to take that step of of just seeing, can I get curious about something yes. showing up in me yes. and see what happens? I love that. And, you know, I have the benefit of seeing you as we're recording this, people can't see you, but you just lit up when you, when you said that, you mm-hmm. know, that your desire to see people get curious. And yeah. so, uh, is it how easy slash hard is it to find some, uh, a therapist that's uh, trained in IFS internal family systems? Well, um, the model has exploded in oh. interest because it is such a beautiful means okay. of healing. So the, um, the IFS Institute uh, is the best source of oh. searching therapist. Okay. It's that's IFS. What is the website? It's ifs-institute.com. And, um, and there is a, a means for searching for a therapist in your area. Right. And They've even helpfully required therapists to say whether they're available for new clients. Oh, so that's great. Waste all their time it's reaching brilliant. out to people who are full. Because I know um, people will be asking. I'm going to post that in the show notes. So yeah. thank you for that as well. Wow. So much um, is included in your book, Restoring Relationship. We've, I mean, as you can imagine, with the length of a book versus the length of a podcast, <laughs> we've just scratched the surface. But Molly, you have um, given us some, some good handles for this that can help us begin to move forward. And I thank you so much for not only your time today, but also for, I know the time that it took to write restoring relationship. Thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. And as always to everyone, I say, keep the conversation going.